2: Tonight we're going back to Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, that is what is commonly referred to as the faith chapter. Now, the thing is about faith, is we need to quit looking at it as a commandment, even though it is. We need to quit looking at it as though it's been imposed upon us, because it hasn't. Faith is a gift. It is a doorway by which we enter into all that Christ has done for us. And through faith and by faith, everything you know about Christ has been realized. Through faith and by faith, you've experienced all that you have. You are able to identify the truth of God in Christ... In your experience, because you first received it by faith. Everything that we know of God, we know by faith. And here's the cool part some people look at that as an imposition. They think, you know, it's not real unless I can see it or I can feel it or I can touch it. And faith pretty much does away with that presumption. It's absolutely real. But the cool thing about faith is that you don't have to see it. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to touch it. Do you have any idea, I'm sure you do, what that means in regards to God's love? We constantly are being accused by the world and by the enemy and by our own flesh that somehow we have been set aside or rejected or somehow God doesn't love us to the degree that he could because of something we have in our lives. We're constantly being lied to about the love of God. But the love of God is so great that it can only be known by faith. You couldn't experience the fullness of it. The love of God is so immense and so large that He brought everything that is true about Him and that what is most true about Him is His love. He brought it to you by faith. Faith. So, faith is that doorway where by I can say I know my God. Faith is that doorway by where I can say I trust my God. Faith is that doorway by which I can say my God is faithful. Faith is that doorway by which I experience all of the attributes of God for me. I can seize upon the gifts that He has given me through Christ Jesus by faith. And whether or not I ever enter into what man describes as those gifts, I have entered into the fullness of those gifts by faith. Faith is huge for us. It is not just a way of life it is the only life because through faith we live in the life that Christ has given us it is not just an alternative way to see life it is the only way to see the truth of life because through faith I experience I know I receive all that God has created me to be and to know in this life and through eternity. So faith is huge. Now last time we looked at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 11, and it gives a description of faith. And we said that it is important to see faith as our spiritual eyes and ears, to see and hear the activity of God in and around us, to walk in the intimate communion that we as Christians have been created for, and you will not do that apart from faith. You can tell yourself that you have that communion, but your persistence in seeking that communion will be up and down and up and down if you relate it to the way you feel or to the evidence of God's working about you. You relate it to the truth of God's Word. You relate it to the truth of His life within you. And by faith, you hold it in place. You recognize it. Faith is a choice. It's that simple. It's not something we have to carve out or shape or mold or cultivate or plant or grow. It is not dependent upon anything other than the choice, the invitation of the Spirit of God and the choice to believe. It begins with God through His Spirit inviting you into faith. And he's not inviting you into the faith of man. I said this last time. He's inviting you into the supernatural awareness of his presence and activity, of who he is. And when you receive that, you have faith. That's why we say we want to see it as our eyes and ears. Faith is a choice. It's not imposed upon us. It's a gift. No one is too weak to exercise faith, and no one who embraces faith will be rejected. No one is too weak to exercise faith, and no one who receives faith will ever be rejected. The enemy wants us to believe, and I said this last time, but it's important to note. The enemy wants us to believe that life expands or contracts in the temporal. I got the job, my life expanded. I lost the job, my life contracted. But by faith, we know that we have eternal life that is ever-expanding. Whatever happens in the temporal, whatever. Because of Romans eight twenty eight, God works together all things for my good. When I got the job, it was for my good. When I lost the job, it was for my good. Why? Because the revelation of Christ was in it. Well, where was the revelation of Christ? It was there to be known, how? By faith. The enemy uses the scene and the temporal to chain and bind us to the weaknesses of the flesh and imprison us in our circumstances. You're limited because you're not as smart or not as good-looking, or didn't get there in time, or didn't know about it, or didn't move fast enough, or didn't make enough money, or didn't marry the right person, or didn't, didn't wear the right clothing. Whatever! You're going to live in the shoulda, woulda, coulda's of life if you're not living by faith. The enemy wants to imprison you in circumstances. Weigh you down in the weakness of your flesh. By faith we enter into the freedom and the liberty that Christ has given us through our union with His Spirit. There is a huge amount of liberty there. Why? Did He put us in union with His Spirit in order to strengthen His Spirit? Hmm? He put us in union with His Spirit because of our need for strength to be more than flesh and the Spirit of man would ever have the capacity to be. That union, which is an inseparable union, has bound you to supernatural strength, has bound you to the will of God, has bound you to the desires of God, and has literally made you the delight of God's heart. But we don't know that except by faith. This is the life that the child of God has been created for. The freedom to know the fullness of His Spirit, His joy, His love, His peace, and abide in hope rather than despair. Look upon man and despair. Look upon the temporal and despair. Look upon your weaknesses and your habitation in the flesh and despair. Look upon God and know the truth of capital H, hope. For He has given it to you. This life has been literally created for the child of God, and faith is the way we appropriate it, or own it, or live it out. Now, our author is writing to Hebrews who have been raised in Judaism, and have been following the practices and religion of their fathers for, for generations. And the problem being that Judaism, as I said last week, the Judaism of the first century, was not the supernatural system that had been given by God in the beginning. It was a system that had been twisted by an economy of works. And faith had no place in that. Faith no longer had any place in that. Not in their worship, not in their practice of their religion. Now, I want to remind you of a verse we looked at last time. It was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And it says, For it is by grace God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment, and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourself, not through your own effort. It is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. It is through faith. God called us to Jesus, and God has called us to faith. Again, not a natural faith, but a supernaturally enabled faith that allows us to believe and receive. Now, this is not new to those people who've studied the Old Covenant. They recognize it in Israel's founders who were named the heroes of faith. And this begins in verse 4, which we'll be looking at tonight. It is plain to see that faith, and the author is going to show this, that faith was God's plan from the very beginning. And the author is going to point that out to the Jewish people who had left faith behind. But it's also important for us to see the relevance of that point for us today. The question for each one of us is, have, where have we set faith aside? in the way we live, in our perspective, in the context of our thinking. Where has faith been relegated to just those things that we can't possibly get ourselves around apart from from God? As I said last week, faith is not an occasional respite from circumstances. It is a deliverance into a higher, truer spiritual reality that we are called to live in. Most of the issues that confront the Christian today would instantly lose their power over our souls if we would, by faith, recognize that our lives are everlasting, spiritual, imperishable. The author illustrates this in the lives of those who believed God in the unseen while living in the seen. Again, that's faith is a gift from God. It is... The lifeline, faith is the lifeline for the sinner and for the carnal, the weak and timid faith. We can know God's relentless love and mercy for, that, for us and those we love through faith. So in order to remind you of what we read last week, I will start in verse 1 and read through verse 4. We stand for the reading of God's Word. Now faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for and divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. For by this kind of faith the men of old gained divine approval. By faith, that is, with an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God, we understand that the worlds, universe, ages were framed and created, formed, by, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible." By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which it was testified of him that he was righteous, upright, in right standing with God. And God testified by accepting his gifts. And though he died, yet through this act of faith he still speaks. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now we'll pick up with... uh, the men of old, mentioned in verse 2. Now, these men are testaments of the practice of faith, and they are named by the Spirit and listed by the author. The recipients of this letter would be intimately familiar with these men because they were the founding fathers of Judaism. The Spirit is taking them back, the Hebrews back, to the beginning so that they will see that faith is not a new approach to God, but it was God's plan for man to know him by faith from the very beginning. We ended in chapter 10 with verses 37 and 38, which is a quote from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Hebrews ten thirty seven and 38 says, For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, the one justified by faith, shall live by faith, respecting man's relationship to God and trusting him. And if he shrinks back, shrinking in fear, my soul has no delight in him shall live by faith respecting man's relationship to God and trusting him. Is there anything outside of that? Is there really? So he's talking about the whole of how we live. The Spirit is calling the Hebrews to return to the practice of faith. He reminds them that God has been calling his people to himself by faith ever since man fell in the garden. The author has made it clear that the new covenant must be embraced by faith, not by religious works. He illustrates this by pointing to the first two sons of Adam. And we're going to look again at verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. And then we're going to look at Genesis, where the story is told. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which it was testified of him that he was righteous, upright, and right-standing with God. And God testified by accepting his gifts. And though he died, yet through this act of faith, he still speaks. He's speaking today, isn't he? Abel was the first to come to know God by faith. He was the very first one. Illustrating that faith is needed to approach God. Adam and Eve initially did not practice faith because God would come and reveal himself to them and walk with them in the garden. Now Cain and Abel were born after the fall and never knew the presence of God in the way Adam and Eve did. And Adam and Eve had seen God and believed. Abel was the first to believe without seeing. He had been brought up knowing God without seeing God the same way you have Abel was justified by faith to take a closer look I'm going to take you back to Genesis chapter 4 and we're going to begin there with verses 1 and 2 Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 Now the man Adam knew Eve as his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Cain and she said I have obtained a man baby boy, son, with the help of the Lord. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks of sheep and goats, but Cain cultivated the ground. Now Cain is born, and Eve is quick to declare that she had a son with the help of the Lord and names him Cain. And the root of that of his name means to get. It is said that she is actually returning or referencing uh, back to the Word of God to them in chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, I will put enmity, open hostility, between you and the woman, and between your seed, offspring, and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. In this God is declaring that the seed of the woman, not of man, would be born and would crush the head of the serpent, the same serpent who had drawn her into sin, and restore the fellowship of God. One theologian wrote, By a woman had come sin, by a woman would come the Savior. By a woman, paradise was lost, and by a woman, paradise would be found. Of course, Genesis 3.15 is a prophecy about Jesus. Some of the theologians believe that Eve presumed that she had given birth to the promised seed because she gave him the name Cain, and because of the meaning of that name. Then in verse 2 we read that later she gave birth to Abel, and his name actually means breath. Genesis tells us that Abel was the keeper of the flocks and Cain cultivated the ground. So the uh, ranchers were righteous and the farmers were wicked. (laughs) Not really. Both were born of flesh but unto God. Both had a specific role to play before God. I believe that both were uniquely gifted to fulfill their individual roles before the Lord. Now, it's interesting to me that a man who is given everything must be literally made to acknowledge the God who gave him everything. The corruption of sin in the flesh will always resent being compelled to worship God and give him thanks. And I am reminded of Romans chapter 1 where Paul describes the condition of man in the flesh. And notice that man is aware of God... Man is not blind to God, but he either ignores God or remakes God in his own image. Romans 1, 18 through 21 says, For God does not overlook sin, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, in their inner consciousness. For God made it evident to them. For ever since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through His workmanship, all His creation, the wonderful things that He had made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in Him are without excuse and without defense. For even though they knew God as the Creator, they neither "'honored him as God, or give thanks for his wondrous creation. "'On the contrary, they became worthless in thinking, "'godless and pointless in reasoning, and silly in speculation, "'and their foolish heart was darkened.'" Now, if that doesn't describe a lot of what's being described as intellectual thought today, I don't know what does. "'Both of these boys were raised to know God.'" Both were raised to understand that every good thing was given of God, and that their labor was unto the Lord. All of these were lessons of Adam and Eve from the beginning. Now we come to verses 3 and 4 of Genesis chapter 4, and it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, but Abel brought an offering of the finest firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had respect, regard for Abel and for his offering. Now, the beginning of verse 3 tells us that worship had become a part of their way of life. It says, in the course of time, which indicates a set time of worship. And I believe that God had taught Adam and Eve the need for sacrifice, the need for atonement. When Adam and Eve sinned, they saw their need to be covered. And though they deserved to die physically, God took the lives of animals in order to cover their shame. Genesis 3.21, the Lord made a tunic of animal skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So the very first sacrifice of atonement was made right before they were put out of the garden. They had set a time of offerings before the Lord where they brought the sacrifice of atonement. You know, and it's interesting to me to note that the first instinct of Adam and Eve after their sin was to make their own covering. A covering that required no sacrifice. It was a covering of plants which God had to replace. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground and there is no indication that it was the first fruit or as to the quality of that offering. The verse just does not say. However, verse 4 is very descriptive of Abel's offering, an offering of the finest firstborn of his flock and the fat portions.
1: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.